Hello, listeners. This is PSG Talk contributor and World Cup Project host Mark Damon. And this is Cup Talk for Sunday, June 10th, 2018. This will be what we will call our World Cup podcast. So what will happen is I will have about seven of these uh, over the course of the World Cup. Um, One after each round of group play, so three of them. And then one after each knockout stage round ends, so that's another four. So you can count on seven shows covering the World Cup and what happened in the previous week or so. I will host all of them, and I will have a rotating cast of guests. Some will be more recurring than others, but we'll get to that when we get to that. First and foremost... I would like to thank everybody who made the World Cup uh, project the success that it was. Very much appreciate your downloads and your feedback. We look to do more things like that in the future. And the way we will be able to do that is multiple, multiple ways. One way is going to be by you following me, Mark Damon One, on Twitter, following PSG Talk on Twitter, putting your input, telling us what you'd like to hear. Also, contributing to our Patreon, which is very, very incrementally growing. But as I've said before, $1 is all you really need to give. $1 a month will start opening the door for a lot of the cool stuff that we will want to do. So make that um, part of your consideration, and thank you for even considering doing it. On today's show, we will, and I mean we as in me and somebody else who will come on in just a second... We'll look at the friendlies that have been completed over the last two weeks or so. We did a – actually, I'll just go with it. My guest will be John Olangi, a PSG Talk contributor and a fantastic friend of the show. We will talk sort of like we did in our preview, which went out yesterday on Monday, June 11th. That's I need to backtrack right now. This will come out on Tuesday, so I'm recording this Sunday afternoon, right after Brazil beat Austria 3-0. But we recorded our preview podcast on May 19th. So this will come out on Tuesday. If you're listening to this, it's probably Tuesday. Think of this as sort of a supplement to what we did in our preview that came out yesterday. Try to keep up. We are going to talk about what we've seen in the team selections, um, what we've seen in the friendlies, and if anything has sort of changed our mind heading into this World Cup, which starts on Thursday, June 14th, when Russia takes on Saudi Arabia in what will be probably the worst game of the entire tournament, but at least we are saving the worst for first. So I'm sure you're tired of hearing me talk. Let me get John Olangi on the line. Now, let me make this point. We're doing this live, so um, it's live, pal. Let's see what happens. Hey, John, what's going on? You're live, pal. What's going on, Mark? Um, So, welcome to Cup Talk. That's what I uh, just thought of naming it about three minutes ago, so that's what we're going with. Um, How are you on this fine day, John? I'm doing pretty good, man. Uh, just relaxing, taking some time off this weekend. Uh, got to watch uh, some soccer this morning, so doing pretty well. It, it's it's. I think it's been an interesting round of friendlies. Now, most people don't 
add a lot of uh, credence to these types of international friendlies right before the World Cup. Most people kind of assume that it's just a way to, you know, get some minutes in while not getting hurt. But I think there's been some interesting things that have happened the last couple of weeks that we should probably touch on. Now, as I told our uh, listeners before I got you on, um, our preview show is going to drop on Monday, which is tomorrow, and then this will go out on Tuesday as sort of a supplement to that. So just to give you sort of a time frame on that. Um, let's, uh, let's start with what we just watched. Brazil beat Austria 3-0. to Very convincing, very dominant. And I think out of all of these friendlies, the one thing that I'm took out of them is that before the friendlies, I was thinking that there were two kind of even favorites in Brazil and Germany. I'm not sure. I'm not so sure that I feel that way anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that those two those two countries were everybody's favorites. Uh, but I think the idea with these friendlies, particularly before the World Cup, is. To play, to play a team that's going to play similarly to who you're going to face in the group stages. And that's what uh, the United States yesterday, they presented what uh, France is going to see in their group stages. And the same way today, how Austria, how they play three in the back. And, and uh, what Brazil is going to see in their group stages. So I think it's not just the friendly in those terms. But more so, a tune-up, which is essentially what it is, a tune-up for you to be familiar with what kind of defenses you're going to face in the group stages. And um, I think Brazil, with the, as far as all the favorites go, I think they, they've been the most the most consistent and dominant in these uh, friendlies before the World Cup. I would agree. And again, it depends on how much credence you put into it. But I tend to feel like in the two games we've seen Brazil, I think we've seen a team that's very comfortable in who they are. I think they know what the rotation's going to be. They know who they're bringing off. It's pretty clear that Firmino's going to come off the bench for Gabriel Jesus. Uh, it's pretty clear that, um, for the most part, the lineup is going to be the lineup. Probably Douglas Costa coming on for Willian at some point. And I don't think there's a lot of questions that Brazil needs to answer. I think what I've learned in these friendlies is that I think there's some teams that have questions they need to answer, and we'll get to them as we kind of go along here, but Brazil seems to have this thing figured out. It almost seems like it's really up to them just showing up and playing and not having a bad day in the knockout rounds. Yeah, I think I think they're gonna be pretty good in the group stage, man. Like, I don't I don't see any one of those teams in their group really giving them a test that much. But it's it's um, it's one of those things. You look at the Brazil team that was in the, the 2014 World Cup. They didn't have a Casemiro, you know what I mean? And, and Felipe Coutinho and, and, and Neymar is now older, more wiser. You have a, a more seasoned Thiago Silva and Marcelo. And you didn't have Ali Son, and, and so it's, it's it's a different team, and, and and I think most people would agree that there um, there's more confidence in this team than the one in 2014, and 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 the backing with the 2014 
team was more so because they were playing at home. You know, they had the, the home crowd and there was a lot of pressure. This time around, they're not going into it with as much pressure, but at the same time, more talent and more more experience. And, you know, and I, I think they're ready. I think, like I said, guys like Casemiro are really the difference maker. Obviously, with Real Madrid and same with his country. I think Coutinho in the midfield is really making a difference too. I, I think it's giving them I think it's giving them a more dynamic approach that I don't think they really unleashed in the group stage not in the group stage, but in the in the qualifying rounds. I think they played it very close to the vest in the qualifying rounds. And I feel like uh Chiche has sort of brought this out now and I I, I think it's an X factor. I think Coutinho's he looks sharp. He looks rested for the most part. He didn't have to really – he didn't go through sort of the grueling season that a lot of some of these other guys did. And I think you could say the same thing for Neymar. As you know, bad as that injury was for him, three months off is three months off. And you saw what he did to that poor Austrian defender who, who, who has no more knee uh, – I don't think he has any cartilage or bone left in his knees – we did him so dirty. Oh, that was that was that was I. It, it just it, you can't not look at Brazil and say they're 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 just clicking on a different plane right now. I I, I have to say they are they look like the favorites, not just a favorite. Um, and ne- Neymar too. It's just he looks he looks healthy. I I think he he looks after three months. I think he looks healthy. They did it right. They didn't rush him back. They didn't. The, the you have to give Brazil and to a lesser extent PSG the credit here. They they looked at the big picture. They gave him the time to recover, and he seems like he's better for it. Yeah, it's really fascinating actually how well he's played since he's come back. It's like you know he's been gone except for three months, and 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 I agree with you. I'm really giving the the Brazil and PSG medical staff a lot of credit with how they've kind of given that they've been accurate with all of their timelines and, and all the updates they've given us and he's been on track with it and he's back and he hasn't skipped a beat like the goal he scored against Croatia and the one today it's like he hasn't skipped a beat I think it's fascinating and it kind of shows what type of talent he is where he can be off for three months with the injury and come back and still be spectacular and a game changer so let's talk about the other favorite um, let's talk about Germany. They've been interesting. Um, a little bit of a controversy in that Manuel Neuer has retaken his spot. He basically didn't play the entire year. And he is now the starter for Germany, like he was in 2014. While they have Marc-Andre Terstegen, who's been very good for Barcelona this year and has played the whole year and is in form. So you got a little bit of a question mark there. Uh, they lost to Austria, a team that, as we just talked about, lost to Brazil today 3-0. And they didn't exactly look like world beaters against Saudi Arabia either. Now, is it one of those situations where they're sort of taking their foot off the gas a bit before the World Cup? Or is there kind of an issue with this team? I think there's a little smoke to this. I, I I'm not... I I pick them to win. I'm not as confident. Maybe not totally not confident, but I'm not as confident as I was. I I'm not sure. There's certain things with this team that don't exactly seem on point. Yeah, I, I 
I mean, even even with the loss to Austria and, and them not really clicking on all cylinders in these friendlies, they're still one of you know second favorites to win the to win the World Cup, and that's just how good they are, and that's just how much trust we have in their style of play and in their discipline. But I think, like I said in in in, uh, in the preview podcast on the World Cup project, is I think the difference is going to come down to uh, Yogi Lowe and. And, and and who he puts out on the pitch. Like, we just spoke about Brazil. TJ knows his 11. He knows who's coming off the bench. They don't seem to have that. You know, they, they don't know who's going to be playing. I've seen people complain about um, Draxler shouldn't be starting or certain players shouldn't be playing. And, 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 and obviously the exclusion of Leroy Sané. But it's, it's, it, it's not really on the players. It's about who... Yogi Lowe puts out on the pitch, and he hasn't found his strongest 11. And I think that's an issue going into the tournament, which is about a week away. But, you know, even with all that said, there's still the San Antonio Spurs and the New England Patriots of the soccer thing where you can ride them off and you can question things, but they'll be there in the end. Uh, would you have taken Leroy Sané? Um, I'm a little on the fence about him, so I'm probably the wrong person to ask in terms of that. But uh, I think I would have taken him just because, you know, numbers-wise, you know, looking at his stats, he did play well, and the Manchester City won the Premier League. But I th- I don't think it's him him being excluded isn't really a knock on him, but more so the talent that they already have is just one of those things that's hard to get into their team. But, um, like I said, I, I've never watched a, a, a game where Leroy Sané is, like, blown my mind or, like, you know, took over a game. And I see people say that a lot about him, but I've never watched a match where he's really dominated. But he is a great player. But, you know, I say that, but then I'm confused with the inclusion of a Kevin Trapp. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I don't, I don't understand what the ideology is there, but uh, I would I would have taken him just because – you know, it doesn't hurt to have an extra versatile winger on your, on your as far as squad depth goes. You know, I, I think the I think the uh, exclusion of Leroy Sané is more of a philosophical one from uh, Yogi Love because I think I think what they want to do is work through the middle. I think they're very much a midfield dominant uh, team. Their strategy is to control midfield and to build from that midfield the Gundawans, the Draxlers, the Croses, the Goretzkas, and then sort of create the easier chances for, let's say, a Thomas Muller or a Marco Royce or a, you know, and I add Mesut Ozil to that midfield too, but that's, I think, the philosophy. I'm pretty sure they're looking to play through the middle and more through their midfield than a player like Sané, who is a traditional wing player. And he's going to take the ball. He's going to take the ball out wide. He's going to try to put crosses in. He's going to try to cut in on his right foot. And I'm not sure that's how Germany want to go about it. I think they want to have a little bit of a more of a balance in how they distribute the ball. So that's where I'm thinking on that. And it, it makes the most sense out of anything, because I do think Sané, talent-wise, should be on this team. But I, I, I'm just interested. I still don't know where their scoring's going to come from. I'm, I'm still a little bit... Um, I'm still a little bit 
weary of that. And if they can't get consistent scoring, that's going to be that's going to be a problem. And that's going to they're going to have a lot of the ball, but they're going to have trouble um, in the in the semis and finals if they can't. Anything else on Germany before we move on to France? Because I have a bunch to say about France. Charmed life. Some people have some people have charmed lives. Like you can't. No matter what happens to them, it just there's it always sort of comes out roses and sunshine. Um, okay, so France. France looked, I would say, on balance, pretty good. I think they were probably the second most impressive team coming out. I thought they looked really sharp against Italy. I thought that when they took Giroud off and they took Matuidi off against the United States, they started to look better. And now I, I get a little flack for this, but I'm not the biggest. And it's not that I hate Olivier Giroud as a player. It's I, I think that France to win the world cup, if that's the goal, if the goal of Didier Deschamps is to win the world cup, not go to the semis or go to the quarters but actually win the thing, France has to have a style that they can play that gives them the best opportunity to win. And you saw against Italy when they played in that 4-3-3 with Mbappe, Dembele, and Griezmann, it, it was a for Italy, Italy looked helpless. They looked they couldn't they couldn't keep up with the pace. And this is an Italian team. This is an Italian team that whether you think they're very good at this point or not, they can defend. And they've always been able to defend, and France made them look inept defensively. However, against the United States, they go to the 4-4-2 diamond. They put Giroud out there. They they put Mbappe out there and Griezmann out there, and they go with Matuidi. And they play good possession. They move the ball decently well. They get it into the final. They get it near the final third. But I feel like that formation and that look brings France down to the level of their competition. Because and it and it, and it may not just be Olivier Giroud. I call it Giroud ball just to make a point. But that's what it looks like to me. It looks like a team that. When they put the Giroud Matuidi out there, that looks like 2014-2016 France. France to win the World Cup cannot be 2016-2014 France. Because as we know, that France is not good enough. A France that's fast, that's aggressive, that jumps on you at the beginning of the game with speed and pace, that could be that could do something. I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on that and what you see as France's best eleven. Because France is definitely a team that does not know who their best eleven is. Yeah, and and I, I sort of I'm I'm with you on the whole Giroud thing, and I don't think it's necessarily Olivier Giroud as the player. He's a he's a phenomenal athlete. I think it's the it's what he represents, right? Like he represents them playing more possession style football 
where it's long walls and crosses and he's the target man and it's kind of a waste you know you're wasting the speed and the athleticism and the talent that you have with Dembele, Griezmann, and Mbappe. And what I noticed yesterday, Griezmann didn't really have a good game in that formation because you saw he was playing really deep and really going into the midfield and having to start up uh, attacks from the midfield. And he shouldn't have to do that when you have a Pogba and Conte in the midfield, right? And But that's because... Giroud is operating that space that he or Mbappe should be operating in. And you saw when he went out, they, they started, you know, operating from in the middle. They weren't even playing out wide. They were attacking through the middle and up towards the goal. But um, I think Giroud, he represents a, a certain style of play that is like, you know, the old way. It's like Deshaun being content and going into it with what he, what he knows. But, man, you got to you gotta utilize the, that talent that you have out there and, uh, and I also wanted to point out that Matuidi shouldn't be starting uh, in, 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 in once the World Cup starts because um, he, he, he doesn't offer what uh, Taliso offers. Uh, I heard the commentators, they were, they were alluding to the fact that Pogba was the one on the fence, but I was confused by that. But I think it's really Matuidi who's on the fence because it should be Conte, Pogba, and Taliso. It's because of the hair. It's the hair that you see when he because when you color your hair that that hair dye it seeps into your brain and it makes you less um, competent on the field. That's science, my friend. That's science. And today, uh, all the all the, uh, the the soccer websites were pointing out Pogba's backpack as he got off the plane in Russia. I'm like, this is the problem. You guys covered this type of stuff. No one cares about his book bag except for y'all. <laughs> yes. And then you want to make it about him being more. Him caring more about how he looks than he how he plays. It's just yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, I, I know, I know. But you know, and I agree with that. I I think Tolisso should start. I think it should be Tolisso, Pogba, and Conte. And it it also it's also not so as much of a stat. It's it's also a bit of a necessity issue here because what you've seen is that Hugo Lloris is giving up a goal per game. At this point in his career, you go to and I'll I'll pull it up. Um, their last uh, their last few games. I'm gonna pull it up just to sort of make that point. Um, okay, let's go back to the last time he. Uh, okay, so let's go back into the World Cup qualifiers. Um, and I'll start at on June 9th of last year. So this is a, basically a year from today, essentially. He gave up two goals to Sweden. He gave up a goal to Belarus. Gave up three to Colombia. Gave up one to Russia. Gave up one to Italy. And gave up one to the United States. These are not world beater teams that he's giving up goals to. The shutouts he had in that uh, streak were against Ireland, Bulgaria, Luxembourg. And that's about it. So... You can count, even against not high-level competition. This is not Brazil, Germany, Belgium. This is middling, mid-level competition. Lloris is giving up a goal a game. Or if you want to be more politically correct about it, France's defense is giving up at least a goal a game. 
France cannot get into a game where they are bogged down in possession and they're not getting the volume of chances that they need. You have to work under the assumption that you are going to give up a goal a game. Regardless of who you're playing, Denmark, Australia, whatever, because that's what the statistics tell you. The statistics are telling you that he's giving up a goal a game. So you have to... You have to figure out a way to get a volume of chances so that, yes, they might be wasteful. You might you might only get three goals, but if you're taking 17, 18, 19 shots, you've got a much better chance to get those goals than if you're taking seven or eight. And when they play in the Giroud ball style, they're getting seven to eight, probably a game. At one point yesterday in the second half, the shot on goal totals were 3-1. to one. And I believe that was after 60 minutes of play. How on earth against the United States team that's basically an amateur side? I mean, they're really, theoretically, they're basically an amateur side. They had no players on the field with more than 10 uh, international caps. And you have three shots on target in 60 minutes? That's unacceptable. That's where I'm going with this. And that's why I make this point so forcefully and I and I make it over and over again to the annoyance of some people. But that's the key here. You can't have eight shots on target. You have to have 15 or 16. You have to heap pressure on pressure on pressure. And I, I think when Giroud and Matuidi are out there, France just get into this bogged down mode and they just don't get the volume of shots. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. Like I said, I think I think it, 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 it's what they represent, like you, like you just uh, eloquently uh, laid out. It's what they represent is is counterproductive to what you want to do. Uh, and, and to kind of uh, magnify or emphasize the difference between a Brazil and a France, when Brazil, you know, they might it might take them a little while to get into the game, but once that one they score one goal, the floodgates open, right? They have that mentality to pounce on you and keep your foot on keep their foot on someone's neck. And with Giroud out there, that it doesn't give you that same license to do that, right? And and and, and it's it's just really like I say, it's counterproductive to what they're wanting to do and and how they're wanting to move forward and. Uh, like I agree with you uh, completely. If they want to make any type of impact in this tournament, you know the French fans are going to be disappointed uh, if they keep uh, Giroud out there starting. You know you have you have Griezmann, Mbappe, and Dembele, uh, Lamar. You have great players that you can you can supplement with, but you know it's it's, a, it's, it's another problem. Where as a manager, do you want to change up your 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 ideology? this close to the tournament, you know, I don't know how you feel about that. Like that's, that's a little risky as well, but you know, you have to do what you have to do. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk about the rest, uh, as we go along here. Um, who's your fourth favorite now? I think I, I feel like Brazil, Germany, and France are the three with France distant third from Germany and Germany more and more distant of a second behind Brazil. But who is that fourth team? Uh, for me, uh, well, let me see. I had Brazil. 
You had the same one. You basically, I think, had the same thing I, I, I had. So you had Spain in the semis. Is Spain still, after seeing a little more of Spain, are you... I, 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 I'm, I, I still, I'm still with them. Uh, I think for me, it's not even about the fourth. It's um, I, I have a feeling. I don't know. I feel like Argentina is going to do better than I thought. Well, let's talk about let's talk about them for a minute because yeah. they, they've had an interesting last couple of weeks. They had um, they had one of their uh, midfielders go down, which actually might mean more um, playing time for Giovanni Lachelso. Which could be very, very interesting in a whole, um, whole bunch of ways. Um, let me see if I can. Uh, Manuel Lanzini was out. Um, they did not take Mario Icardi. Um, so they're going with Iguain as the striker, basically. They have really not played a competitive match in a long, long time. They were supposed to play Israel today, but that got um, canceled for that got canceled for safety or political reasons, depending on who you talk to. So their last actually competitive friendly was against Spain in March, and they lost six one. Their last friendly they've played was uh, May 29th. They beat Haiti four nil, but again, that's Haiti. What do you make of that? That seems like a really weird way to go into a World Cup with very little friendlies, very few friendlies, and some injury concerns. Yeah, I, I think it's like I'm I'm more so looking back at uh, last World Cup. They got to the final, and it was because of injuries why they 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 were they couldn't match up with with. Uh, with the champions, but it, it's it's more so uh, their their problem. I think is uh, is a uh, it's a stylistic thing. They have a wealth of options with their striking and forwards, but uh, they you know they they don't know how to to implement that or to use that. But I think they have enough talent where they can get through their group and with the likes of a Messi and Iguain and Dybala and all these guys, they can. You know, if, if they play their, their their style of play, they have okay defenders, then they don't have the best midfield. But I think, you know, being strong in, in, in attack is enough for them to, to, to go further than I thought they would. But uh, we'll see. They have a lot going on with their FA. And I think it's really unfair to, to, to the players with the, the stuff that they have to go through. I read something where they have to deal with some really – you know, horrible stuff leading up to going to Russia. And, uh, you know, they have a lot of, you know, turmoil going on there. But um, hopefully they can they can kind of put that to the side and, and play well. But I, I just have a feeling uh, that, you know, it's one of those things that I have a gut feeling with that they'll go further than they're supposed to. They're going to overachieve. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk about two teams that are sort of in that uh, second or third tier that I think look pretty good. I thought Belgium's looked all right. And I think England's looked pretty good. I, I I've I've been somewhat impressed with how those young players have sort of uh, blended uh, blended together to sort of. I think they're going to give some people some tro- some trouble. I, I I think they get through the I think they get through their group, and I think in the knockout rounds they're going to give some people some issues. They're not an easy out in those knockout rounds. I I I I, 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 I thought. 
starting goalkeeper for England. Uh, but Jack Butland, he's in okay. okay. I, I, he's in no good. Yeah, I, it's surprising. I think to me how, and just go to their to their um to their friendlies. Let's see if I can just pull them up quick. Um, they beat Costa Rica two nil, and Costa Rica is a type of team that they're gonna have to beat in their group. A a, a Costa Rica like team. And um, they beat Nigeria 2-1. These are two World Cup teams. Uh-huh. Now, I, 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 I haven't necessarily been impressed with Nigeria or with, uh, with Croatia, for that matter. I think that group – I think that uh, – that, I think Group D looks worse than I thought it would. Like, we'll, we'll kind of just bounce around a little bit at the end here, just our kind of musings and thoughts as we kind of – uh, wind this into the into the World Cup, but I, I, does Group D look as? I think Argentina might be smiling at how sort of weak Group D has looked. I mean, Nigeria's lost a bunch. Iceland hasn't really um, been competitive, and uh, Croatia they have a good midfield, but that's kind of about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh... Yeah, it's really open for anyone to to to, uh, to get the second spot on the, in that group. Uh, with Croatia, I was surprised uh, in, in the match against Brazil, they didn't play Mandzukic, who's their only really player going forward. And like you said, all they have is a midfield, and, uh, and you can't really win a tournament or, or go deep in the tournament exclusively with a good midfield. And with Nigeria, there's been a lot of talk about their kits and their, their, their jerseys. They're really nice, but they're not the best African team in this tournament at all. Um, so I think they're going to be humbled. Uh, so it's, it is looking like um, Croatia might get that second that second spot just based off their talent. But um, yeah, it's really wide open. And Argentina, and, and this goes to my point where this is an advantage for them where they can kind of get, gather themselves and, and get a momentum during the group stages where once they get into the knockout stages, they'll be ready and, and, and be more disciplined of the team. I agree. I, I think this is – I'm more confident in Argentina winning this group than I was, let's say, three, four months ago. Absolutely. Um, France's group looks a little harder than maybe we thought. Um, I, I, it's still France should get through it easily, but Denmark, um, pretty much controlled Mexico in their friendly again, not to read too much into all of this, but it, it's interesting to kind of look at it. I think the, I think France is going to have some games in that group where they're going to get a fight. They're going to get teams that fight them, but let's just talk about Mexico for a minute. Um, they're sort of the they're sort of America's team here for this uh, World Cup. They're going to be the ones that get the most, you know, they're going to get the America treatment here in the on you know the Fox broadcast. They're going to get the coverage, and they've been bitterly unimpressive. Like they don't look like they can score at all. I I, I put a stat there. Um, over 540, yeah, it would be 540 minutes or so of game time. They've scored one goal. They've scored like four goals in like six friendly in the last six friendlies. That's not good. That's not good. Yeah. They, they have to score. And 
if they can't score, they open the door for a Swedish team that can't really score either. But if you if you let them hang around, they could they could uh, they could nick a game one nil. They absolutely could. Well, yeah, I think with Mexico, they haven't been. They've been changing their lineups a little too, and they haven't. Again, they're not. They're not going into the World Cup knowing exactly who they're gonna have. But this might be uh, another case of the 2014 World Cup where Guillermo Ochoa has to be the superstar again. Like that's what it's looking for. Because like you said, they're not scoring goals, so you're gonna have to keep the game tight and close to give yourself a chance at the end, and depend on your goalkeeper to keep a clean sheet. Otherwise, I don't see, you know, Chicharito, he's old, Javier Hernandez, he's older, he's older, and, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to infuse some of the young guys in there, but, you know, it is a friendly, like I said, but they're not looking too good, and it might be another case in the 2014 World Cup where they're going to heavily depend on their goalkeeper, and we're not sure <laughs> if he's going to have that same form. Group A, um, is Salah... Because we recorded our um, we recorded our preview show before the Champions League final and Mohamed Salah's unfortunate, completely accidental injury, yeah. and is there's no way he's a hundred percent going into this. There's <laughs> no way in hell he'll play because he has to play. Yeah. He he he. It's he's he's. I I guess for lack of a better term, he's like a pharaoh at this point. Um, he has to play, but he's not going to be a hundred percent and Egypt without Mohamed Salah, they don't, they look very doo-doo to me. They look very doo-doo to me. So as the door opened for Saudi Arabia and Russia to sneak in and get into the round of 16, as amazing as that sounds. Yeah, if, if, uh, if I have to choose between those two, I'll go with Russia simply because they're at home and they have that crowd support and, 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 and playing the World Cup on home soil. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think Salah is 100% at this point. Uh, and, you know, I don't want to add to the narrative of the, the Neymar comparisons where Neymar right now is probably, what, at 70 80% and he's still better than a lot of people. But with Salah, we're not sure if he's that type of player where if he's not 100%, he, is he going to still be able to, to influence a match and be a game changer like that? I'm not sure of. Uh, but, um, yeah, it, it, things changed a little bit with that with that Salah injury in, in, uh, in Group A. But, uh, honestly, Uruguay, I think it's still going to take it. But if I had to bet on who would usurp Egypt, and my predictions, uh, it would be Russia simply because they're playing on home soil and they would gain some type of inspiration from that. And you would, yeah. And I, I just, I, I'm, I'm lower on Egypt than I was before the injury. Obviously, they just they they lose three nil to Belgium again. They're gonna have to, they're gonna have to keep those goal differentials down in that game against Uruguay because it's gonna come down to beating Russia and Saudi Arabia. And if they don't have a guy that can score. All of a sudden, that game becomes a heck of a lot more even. Um, trying to think, what else? Anything you want to add? Any any team that sort of popped out to you in the in the qualify in the uh, in the friendlies? Any any news or notes? Um, I think uh, I, I just uh, I think we're underestimating the uh, 
the VAR inclusion in this World Cup. Uh, I think it's gonna. I, I don't know how it's gonna affect the entire thing because the World Cup has like a feeling about it where it's like, like it's exhilarating. And I don't know if you would, if, 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 if the VAR is gonna influence that in a negative connotation or not. But I think it's gonna have a big impact where we saw today in uh, in the Brazil match. That first goal from Gabriel Jesus, he was 100% offside, and that can impact the game. And um, so I, I don't know how you how you feel it's going to impact it, but I think we're kind of not underestimating, but we haven't really thought out how influential VAR is going to be into this World Cup. It depends on the referee. It depends on if the referee is in control of the game or not, and. What you'll see is there will be certain referees who will not be able to handle the VAR the right way, and you'll get the you'll get you'll get all of the the joy of a on pitch argument, and you'll have the long delays for the VAR. The key is going to be if they can communicate with these referees quick enough. In all the different languages they speak, and all in all of the different communication issues that you could have, can they can they do it in a way where once the goal is scored, like immediately after the goal is scored, or something happens that that buzzer goes off immediately, and the referee can clearly signal to the players, hold on, hold on, hold on, review. Count to 10, Mississippi. We have a ruling. Let's move the game on forward. What you don't want are three-minute reviews followed by two minutes of people yelling at each other. And I think it's it's for the things they're going to need to use VAR for, offside, um, clear penalty or not, um, the, I think it'll be a, I think it'll be okay. I, I think it's too big of a tournament to screw it up. So they're going to really have to be on target. They're really going to have to be on point. And there really is very little margin for error. Who initiates? Uh, so the, the referee on the pitch is who initiates whether to go to VAR. No, the, no. The, the VAR, there's a VAR official. So okay. there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a bank of monitors or something. Because there's it depends it depends how you do it. There's the VAR like there's sometimes there's like replay officials in the in the stadium. Other times there are VAR officials in like a studio setting where they have the bank of cameras and it's easy because there's only one game going on at a time. So they're all watching that game. They can all see it and they buzz down to the official and go, "This needs to be looked at." The official goes over and either looks at it or they go to a monitor, they look at it, they consult, and I think the official makes the final call on the field. That's how I interpret it. The official is making the final call, but he is not initiating the VAR review. I, I can be I can be proven wrong on that, but that's how I um that's how I have it interpreted. No, that that would that would make it much more, I guess, likable for me because yeah. if, if like let's say if the uh, 
if uh, there was a questionable call and the referee doesn't feel like he needs to go to, to review it, then that can be a whole other issue. But if that's the case, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, that's the only way you can do it because then it, yeah. it then there's no point in having then it, there's no point in it because the officials. Yeah. Um, let me ask you, how are you going to be watching this World Cup this, uh, this year? How is your, what are you, what are your World Cup plan? How are you going to watch this thing? Um, well, Fox Sports, I think is that's, like, I, I don't, I don't understand. I don't know the last World Cup I watched most of the games on ESPN. Yeah. So all the matches are going to be on Fox Sports. Far as I can tell. Now, I have multiple ways to watch this because... I quite frankly am not a fan of the Fox um, broadcasters, so I, I I think if they could um, if they could do like a like a loan deal with who ESPN had doing this and versus who Fox has, like I have the ability to watch the game. I have I have Sling TV as well, so I have the ability to watch the games in French, which I'm gonna do for the France games and maybe the other games too, or I can watch it in on Telemundo. Or when Mexico plays, they have the guy that does it for Fox, who I actually think is pretty good. So I, I could I could deal with that. But the first week I'm still at I'm still at work, so I have to sort of sneak it in when I can in the in the mornings and afternoon. But basically after the first week, I'm free to watch. You know, I'm on my vacation on my uh, two month teacher vacation, so I'm free to watch. You know, right in the morning, all the way through. You have any work? Um, you have any work commitments? Well, yeah, I guess that that, that lines up perfectly for you with school being out. But yeah, I'm my schedule won't allow me to totally be free like that. But uh, I'll, I'll be watching it wherever I'm at on my phone. Yeah. Whenever I'm at home, I will say uh, I brought this up in my piece that I wrote uh, uh, about Kevin Trapp, where most of my friends they're not huge soccer fans. So, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, I'm seeing people tweet saying that there's nothing to watch <laughs> until football, NFL comes back on, but I'm like, there's a whole World Cup. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? And I feel bad for those people who, like, you know, won't, you know, won't experience this tournament. And I really would advise anyone, if you don't watch football, to at least watch the World Cup. Like, it's just like the, the pinnacle of all sports, it's just the biggest tournament in the world, and I think it's going to be fun. No, I'm I'm incredibly looking forward to it. We are going to be doing shows after every sort of round, quote unquote. John, um, if you're free, you're welcome to go on all of them, some of them, whichever ones you're free for. I have other guests too we could have on. I just I like to have fun with this. It's my first one that I'm kind of covering, so I'm I'm looking forward to it. John, thank you very much. Um, give out your Twitter account, and um, we'll head off into the sunset. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at God for short, G-O-D-F-R-S-H-O-R-T. All right, and uh, look for his article on the um, on the fantastic Kevin Trapp and his um, and his wonderful adventures at Paris Saint Germain, and if they may or may not be coming to an end. But right now, it is not really PSG season. It is World Cup international season. Um, actually, wait a minute. Sorry, executive decision. Uh, what do you think of the new Champions League? Uh, are you a FIFA player? I am. All right. Um, what do you, I'm not. So how big is this? How big is this Neymar being on the Champions League edition cover going to be for 
I, I, I just thought that that commercial was really cool. I think that the graphics are awesome for it. And I think it's a big moment because there's never been a PSG player on a cover before. Yeah. I think this is a bit. This is a big moment. It is, and, and that's the that's the entire thing about this whole Neymar thing. And you you talked about this at length about the business decision that this is more so than anything, and how it puts PSG on a map that it's never been on where. A PSG players on the cover, and it, it's really, it's really cool. Uh, but the thing about the, the Champions League is, um, they like when you play uh, a season mode, I guess, on on FIFA, you will play the league matches, the cup matches, and then you will play the Champions Cup, is what they call it. I guess licensing and all that stuff wouldn't allow them to call it the UEFA Champions League. But it was still the, tur- the same tournament. But now you'll get the logo with the star on the patches, on the jerseys, and they'll probably have the Champions League music in there. So it's going to be really cool. And, uh, and again, just having Neymar, a PSG player, on the cover, I think that's amazing. And it's, it's perfect marketing. And uh, it's, it, it bodes well for, for the Paris Saint-Germain and everything they're trying to do as a club. And this is what Neymar affords you to do. Perfect. Um, so for Sean Olangi, this has been your Cup Talk. I think that's what we're calling it. Yeah, that's what we'll call it. Cup Talk host Mark Damon saying au revoir for now. <laughs>